Welcome to episode 28 of Top Hoppy, where we look at leadership differently and highlight the voices that contribute to an emerging paradigm of leadership. In many ways, this interview is an extension of two previous episodes, last week's with Gus Harvey from Future Crunch and episode 20 with Matt Karowski on Complete Value. Paul Fairhead brings a future focus to the now and helps interpret predictions into robust strategy for today's world in preparing for tomorrow. Paul is a musician, and this theme came through strongly in our conversation. Those with an appreciation for the arts often have a willingness to face the pain, the darkness, the shadow in ways that help bring an important perspective to the table. This is one of the things I really respect about Paul Fairhead. He's willing to ask the tough questions and to look at things like the shadow side of tech development and get to the why and find the path towards human centricity. He brings such an important piece to the puzzle, talking about the crucial role of government in bridging the gap between rural and urban mindsets, and not just the limits of the models brought to us by the Industrial Revolution, but a path through the maze of the current environment and the elements of a narrative that will help create brighter futures. This isn't fantasy. This is strategy. And it's a practical approach to releasing the last dregs of our current paradigm. All right, so I'd like to welcome Paul Fairhead to Tall Poppy. Thank you, Tathra. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Paul, you identify as a future state strategist, and we're going to be talking about learnings around leading design-driven organizations, as well as your experience at Abundance 360 and everything in between. Fantastic. So, let's start with what is involved with being a future state strategist. What does that mean? I think there are an abundance of, uh, of future thought leaders, and, uh, and they tend to talk in a language that resonates well with um, people that understand that. I think where there is opportunity and um, where people are getting lost is in that they don't understand how that um, relates to them as an organisation in the now. So what I try and do is interpret the language and the vision into how that applies on the, the tactical version of, of, of what is applicable now for an organisation and where they should be looking. So how does that look when you're dealing with organizations that are dealing with a particular problem and you've got a particular approach? How, how do you sort of translate what the, what, you know, the future state or the ideal is into uh, a language that they can understand? I think the first is awareness, is bringing their aware, awareness up to, and it might be a 101 type basis, but it's just making them aware of what is happening in the world and that the trends and uh, innovation that is occurring will disrupt them in some way, but not to fear the disruption. The disruption is something that is, is, has always happened in society. Um, it's just happening a lot faster now. And organisations tend to be so, uh, be it government or a large corporate, they're all these individuals that are leading them are working at 110%. And I think that they, um, with the way news and information is now, they're, they're curated around their own industry or their own particular field. And, and part of it is opening their eyes to the, what's going on around them. One of the things that we were talking before we press record was this idea of overwhelm, and I think that's something mm. that is kind of widespread at the moment. What What are you seeing? That, that's a, a comment that came out to me from a bunch of 360 this year, um, and, and in the previous year, it's talked about, and a great example was I heard um, Abundance is a, the initiative run by Peter Diamandis, and Peter Diamandis was out in Australia and talking to John Fain on, on morning radio. Oh, wow. And... Uh, there came a point when John went, 
I can see this, I can see where it's going, but I can't get my head around it, so I'm just not going to think about it. And, and that to me really was that tipping point where I went, why, why do people feel so overwhelmed by this? Why, and be it in a positive or negative sense, they just find it too hard to get their head around. And I think that's primarily because everything that they've learned, they're going to need to unlearn. A client said very recently, and he he's just spoken at South by Southwest, the people that will be left behind now, the people that can't unlearn and relearn, mm. that, that's going to be the big difference. And organisations need to understand this. They need to understand that the, the existing paradigm that they live in may not apply. It may apply in certain cases and it may continue to apply for 10, 15 years, but it's going to be very hard for them to relate to new staff, to employ millennials, to find new clients if they're not starting to understand this language and the opportunities that it brings. I would love to dive into your experience at Abundance 360 last year. So what led you to that and what did you get out of it? I'm a quite a positive person and I was attracted to um, the Diamandis view on abundance and, and being bold. But also that there seemed to be a bit of a disconnect, that it was very tech-driven. And I was curious around how they were applying this in, into the human side. One of the comments that came out while I was there was, you know, what are the jobs of the future? What are people going to do? And um, either Ray Kurzweil or, or Peter came back and said, you know, people will have more free time to be creative. Now, that's really good if you're a creative. Um, but... I play guitar, but no matter how much more free time I have, I'm never going to be Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> um, and hopefully not because they're both dead. But um, <laughs> there, there, there is this assumption that people uh, want more free time and, and they want to just be creative. And I think that's a disconnect. I think people want to provide, be doing something of value. Well, and I think people have their identities so caught up in work that if we do go that way, then there's going to be a massive adjustment, which, you know, might not be a bad thing, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see how... Yeah, and it's that point that. of we, we see work as our way of contributing to society, um, either mm. that we've got more money to spend so we can donate it or that the jobs we do actually add value. Yeah. And, and that's becoming... I mean, that, that's in every article that's being talked about so much. Mm-hmm. But what, what does that look like? And, and how does an organisation move towards that? And um, Huddle was modelled around that, mm-hmm. about, about being very authentic and, and doing meaningful work and positively affecting humanity. But what, what gets lost in that is people only focus on the good side of that. Mm-hmm. Where's the conversation around the other side, of the dark side of tech, that um, insurance companies will basically give you a better premium if you wear a Fitbit so they can monitor you. That's a progressive insurance to doing it, putting cameras in cars, putting cameras in houses. It's not long before we are um, individually monitored and everything's going to come down to being individualised, be it finance, be it banking. And you've got the Human Genome Project, which can map us out. It, how's that going to affect people getting a mortgage in the future? If you are genetically disposed to getting a certain illness, does that mean Mm. your interest rate will be higher or your risk will be deemed unacceptable? Those are the things that are not being talked about. So these are the kind of questions you raised when you were there? I raised what people in the audience raised. Mm -hmm. And and I think from that um, and going into this year's conference, which I didn't attend but I had colleagues attend, that's starting to be addressed. And I know uh, Singularity University is looking at the the human design part of it. But there's a long way to go because the tech is being it's all it's always always going to be around money mm. at the moment until we until we change this people will invest in companies that will make money people need to make money and in organizations a lot of the the money is being um, distributed 
in, into the tech side of things. So these so these people are actually driving the change. It's how do we get their heads around that? It's just not just about the, the latest and greatest technology. Um, personally, I think you know, we're moving to an era when you've got people like Elon Musk who make everything open source. That there'll be first to market, but that won't really mean a lot anymore. It's it's how you actually start to to use that in a valuable way and the differential will be people. It won't be the technology. And I think that's people are starting to, to, to dawn onto that idea. And then that becomes really overwhelming because you've got to approach people in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And it's um, no longer just a purely transactional experience. So tell me a little bit more about what you see there as far as the differentiator being people. I, f- I feel like that's a, in some ways a big threat to the status quo, which you know I'm absolutely, uh, I welcome. But what, what I guess, what advice do you have for people who um, are wanting to, dare I say, capitalize on that? And uh, I think probably someone that's been on the podcast before and someone that I've worked with extensively over <laughs> the last few years, um, yes. being um, Matt, and talking about value is, is understanding or reimagining or, or finding unimagined value within the organization and understanding mm-hmm. that it, it goes beyond the transaction. You've got the, the how do you start to value people and, and their contribution? And I was talking to a large convention company recently and they're talking about, you know, we, we were the best in Australia and now there's one being built somewhere else and, and we're being challenged with the facility. And over the two days of workshops, it, it dawned on them that anyone can build a facility. It's how you create a team and what value does that team bring? And also how do you, and one of the questions was, how do you lead millennial? And, and to which I answered, well, you learn to follow. Oh. Interesting. Because, the, because a great leader now will need to also be able to follow people. And then that's, you know, you surround yourself with people smarter than you is obviously the, the, first, um, yeah. the first great attribute of a, of a smart leader is to have people around you and allow them to influence and, and guide you on things that perhaps you're not up to speed with and how they are seeing their role in the organisation or how they see opportunities and being able to understand how that can fit in with your um, your own expectations of the organisation and where you're being instructed to take the organisation or how, how you influence the board. And, and this is really interesting about innovation that um, a lot of comments come about, okay, we'll become customer-focused. That's great, but it's also incorrect. What, what I see is you've... So you can have your innovation team within a bank or an insurance company and you can develop a product that's great for customers. But when you go take it, take it to the board, they're not ready for or they don't understand the why. So, so really... When you're looking at customer-focused work, it's got to be every part of that ecosystem that you're talking about, not just... So that's the super funds or pension funds. That's the, the board of management, the, the leadership team, the staff, the customers, and then the, the greater society. All those things need to be factored in. So, And it's not even a balance. It's, it's a tension. If you get the correct tension, you can build a great bridge and it can last for years. Um, balance tends to be something that, you know, we can we can stand up and strike a yoga pose and be balanced, but if someone walks past us and pushes us, <laughs> which is a, a, a great sort of metaphor for um, disruption, mm. we'll, we'll fall over. So mm. how, how do you how do you find that right balance? Because people invest in an organisation for a reason. So you need to be talking to them about how do they start to reimagine mm-hmm. Um, their return on their investment and what does their investment really mean and how does it be resilient and sustainable long term. I heard you talking about um, leadership from the perspective of how do you lead millennials and I I love Mm. that your response is you learn to follow and there's been a lot about that you know Simon Sinek's video went viral about how to how to deal with them but what what have you seen not not specific to millennials but just from a, a leadership perspective 
what have you seen that's changed in the last you know 10 15 years about how people are leading their organizations i think you have the traditional leaders that they lead by doing and, and setting an example and forging a path and having people follow them i think leadership styles are very individual and and they, and they can't be categorized and it depends on the organization how that is how that structure is is, is to lead but really we should be like a great coach you're not playing the game you're not on the field you're not interacting with customers so how do you enable the people that um, are working alongside you to achieve um, their peak performance or um, optimum contribution to the organization and, and that comes through communicating now I think why we have this change is we are we have so much more information than we've ever had before so Everyone out there that's that's um, working for a leader is also reading books about leadership, or they're seeing podcasts on leadership, and, and they start to expect um, certain things of their leaders. People have a greater awareness. I think it's why the education system perhaps is a bit behind the times. In that, kids are being told what to do, um, and they're not collaborating. And not I think being taught to think for themselves. Yeah, and I think you know, you know, we we never do anything that's we we do independently. Um, if I have a problem or I have a, a question to ask, I'll go to everyone I know that can help solve that. And I think um, people in the digital sphere are doing that very well in, in the way coding's done and you know, putting questions up to in, into the into the cloud and, and people responding. And, and it's all done in this very human, collaboratory sense. And I think this is where Australia has a huge issue is that it's a country of great managers, that you've, you've been paid to um, solve problems really quickly and get on with it. Now, that tends to have a model of taking something that's shit and making it slightly less shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the only way to actually move away from that is actually to go back in, in that applying a human-centred design-type model and go back into, okay, well, why does a problem exist in the first place and, and you know, why do we exist? And how do you take the, the thinking of the millennials or the new staff or anyone and guide them into why? And the, the thing I've learned the most in the last few years is you, you just can't say this is how we do it. You've got to go into the why. And so people understand why you're making the decisions you're making. And if they do that, they can then better influence the, the people that they're working with mm. and um, people are more aligned to the outcome. We're, we're creating an inclusive strategy. Now, it's one thing to do that once, but the key thing to doing an inclusive strategy is to keep on doing it and to keep on iterating that as, as, the, um, as the work goes on. So can you tell me a bit about if there was an experience that you had in leading people that inspired you to change yourself for your own, to improve your own leadership? I think life does that. Yeah. <laughs> I think as, as, as you get older and, and, and you just keep going through different versions of, of how you lead organisations or how you interact with people, you get a better understanding of, of the skills that you have. I think I've learned to listen a lot more. I think that's – and not be judgmental on that and not sort of go, why are you asking that question? Mm. Um, removing assumption, I think that's that's a huge killer in, in leadership that you assume people are on the same path or – They see the world through the same lens. Yeah, the, the same lens. And I think there's a, there's a great Sun Tzu quote about, you know, if, if the first time the message isn't received, it's your fault. If the second time, it's your fault. If it's the third time, well, it's probably the – um, the person you're talking to is fault. And, mm. and that, that would involve cutting off someone's head. But, um, <laughs> but it's that same thing. I, 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 I've learned to go, if, if we haven't got it right the first or second time, how are we communicating that that it's not getting through and making it about the delivery rather than 
um, how it's being received. And then if you can start to work with people and understand why they're not understanding it or what's missing out, you can, you can actually develop a better understanding of how to communicate. And I think that's, that's the key thing. We don't need new ideas or more money. We just need a better way of creating a narrative that people can get on board with. In the work that you've done, what kind of narrative do you think if we were to sort of, you know, make one up, or is there one that you have, uh, or aspects of a narrative that you think would be of value that might help shift where we are now to a state that we'd be better off in? Yeah, I think I'm still learning how to do this. I think everyone's still learning how to do this because it is, um, we're, we're moving in a, in a system that's moving so rapidly and, and exponentially. It, it, it comes down to clarity really comes down to that clarity of purpose and the, and the clarity of message. And I think we still get lost in that. I think um, some of the uh, key players in, in design thinking, quite happily, the way lawyers or accountants used to, they use their own language. That's an assumption that everyone's getting what you're doing. And I think that's where this, this, this stuff misses sometimes. Um, people like Michael Margolis and his storytelling techniques are quite true in that you've got to bring down the story so it can be told to everybody not just an executive or the team you're working with because they have to take what you're telling them and then tell other people about it and be able to communicate it in their own way. So one way I like to describe it is we can all play a different song but we need to be working from the same set of chords. So there is some harmony about that. Now we can have a jazz version or a blues version or a pop version, but it's still the same set of chords. So there is that basic structure that we can all work off. There was um, a conversation with a, a previous guest that we were talking about. I think it was along the lines of there's this expectation in business that things are sort of neatly tied up in a bow, but the reality is that things are quite chaotic and messy. Um, and he was saying that it's you know there's an expectation that it'll be a symphony, but in fact it's more like jazz where mm. it's just a little bit um, unpredictable but people kind of work together to, to come up with a you know, mm. to harmony or perhaps even more chaos <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a jam it's constantly this this rehearsal that we're going through I, I don't I think there becomes a point when you have to perform and hopefully at that point you, you're all in harmony and the message is clear but until you get to those points it, you, you've got to be allowing everyone to interpret it or, or allowing their interpretation to influence your message so when you get to that messaging point, you've, you've got all those pieces and you can make them work together um, like a great producer would, I guess. And I think that's critical. We're, we're talking about you know, you know, models that are non-hierarchical. We're talking about the flatocracies or whatever that looks like. These are organisations that are really, really hard to lead because there are very few people that have even been exposed to it and everyone's trialling it. And, and one of the things that comes out of it is, which I sort of talked about before is there's a dark side to this that are the millennials happy to to see the financial reports and if you're having a bad month what does that actually mean and that they feel oh i'm a bit uncertain now they want this positive this positive message reinforced the whole time and and that's not life we don't live on this jolly happy freeway that just keeps going somewhere you know life is a roller coaster and we, we need to learn how to deal with that and one of the things that is interesting is people talk about being authentic that can be really hurtful. So I think what you need to learn to be is mindfully authentic in understanding your audience and knowing where to draw the line in what you want to say but being clear about what it is that you're saying. So meeting people where they're at but being real at the same time. Yeah, that some people, to sort of quote Jack Jack Nicholson thing like, some people just can't handle the truth Um, because they don't have the context around it. And I think that's... Hmm. And if you you look at the current way organisations message, be it on Slack or email or any platform, and that's why emojis have, have increased. It, it helps give the context. It helps understand 
where that person is coming from. And too often people jump to where they're at in their mind and, and take that bit of communication and it can be very positive or very negative, but it influences way beyond what that was initially meant to be. And if they weren't part of the meeting that was held, they only get the minutes of it and they go, well, wow, does that mean my job's at risk or does that mean um, I'm being moved somewhere else in the organisation? When quite often what all you're doing is looking at the possibility. So when you're looking at possibility, that's great. How you communicate, it's got to be contextualised so people understand that. And I think that can become a great disconnector in an organisation where you're being innovative and where you're being progressive. And I think it's someone from Smart City said to me recently, A, there are two problems with Smart Cities. A, it assumes we're in a dumb city to begin with. <laughs> and B, a Smart City only works if everyone comes on the journey because mm. otherwise you have the haves and the have-nots. And... The reality of innovation and disruption in Australia is Melbourne and Sydney are doing great. You move beyond the, that city fringe, people aren't digital adopters. They don't know what the hell's going on. They're very fearful of their jobs. And you, so you've seen the rise of Brexit, you've seen the rise of Trump, you've seen the rise of One Nation. A lot of that is built around a lack of messaging about where governments are going and what they're doing. Because they're getting a lot of information, but it's everywhere. And so they then only pick up on the, the message that they want to hear. Now, that could be the right wing or the left wing or, or the centrist, but they're not getting a whole message and, and therefore that's creating this disconnection. So if you had the opportunity to address, say, the United Nations and there were mm. you know, heads of state that they're dealing with the challenges, what advice would you have for them about how to deal with that? A is to not, to not make assumption that everyone's on board and that one of the great roles of government now needs to be knowledge capture and knowledge sharing to bring people on board to understand what the future could hold for them if we moved as we move towards the internet of things all this information is available how do you get people to tap into the right information and not the alternate fact it is one and it, it's it's yeah it's their redefining of their role they're making decisions and they're not informing people about why they're making those decisions and i think people understand they, they they bring leaders on and, and leaders make decisions but more than ever we now question the decisions because we have people tweeting and people uh, commenting positively or negatively on those decisions that there needs to be that addendum to us to okay these are the reasons why we got to this point and so it's it's the communication of the message becomes critical one of the things I appreciate about you is that you have a, a willingness and a um, say a propensity to, to look at the shadow side, to recognise and acknowledge that it's there. And I'm thinking about in terms of how things are played out on the world stage at the mm. moment, it, it, it appears as though there was a that was missing, an awareness of that shadow of you know, dark stuff that people don't want to look at, um, may have well gotten us to where we mm. are. And, and I want to get back to the Abundance 360 stuff in a moment because I remember when I you know, first met you and you had recently uh, come back from that, that was the thing that excited mm. me the most was that you were naming the, that there, A, there is a shadow and B, that we need to have those conversations mm. and I got really excited about it. And, but, I, but I'm also thinking about it from the perspective of this is stuff that people are terrified of. And I, yeah, I think this is probably one of the, that probably reminded me, it clicked in my head, one of the things I spoke about there in disruption is that we have for the, for the first time in a very long time the opportunity for people to make a difference. And if we as the people don't understand what's going on, we can't influence it. 
Now, if we look at, say, solar technology and the, the new type of solar cells that are uh, a lot cheaper, so, so energy could become cheaper if we know about it and we lobby our governments. And one of the great things to come out of the South Australian blackouts was a conversation that got batteries on the table, like why the hell that wasn't a discussion beforehand. The reality was it was, become, it was a discussion in the background. But people just weren't aware of it. So they're just going, well, government's not doing anything. So the people that actually understand this stuff weren't aware that government was having these discussions. We, we've got to know that, that it's these technologies independently are not going to change the world. It's how they converge with each other. That, that's this big disruptive, you know, how, how drones interact with AI, interact with 3D printing, um, with healthcare. It's the combination of all of them that makes the whole thing really interesting and, and, and in our ways of working. But... If we if we don't understand how blockchain works, or we don't make people aware of it and its, and its, and its power, or around um, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, there's the same legacy systems will buy it, co-opt it, and just distribute it to us in their current business model, and we'll end up in the same paradigm. We can't fight. We can't fight against them, or we can't influence decisions made around that if we don't know what's going on. And I think that's because everything has escalated so quickly, exponentially, a, a few people are holding all the information. They, they tend to then navigate it towards what benefits them or what they think is, is, is the right way. And you've got to be inclusive. And now that's not saying everyone's got to be in on and you've got to come to a, a global consensus of what this is. But we should also know that you know, we, we can use solar, we, we can build a house that's um, self-sustaining. We can be selling energy back to the grid. We need to understand that value is going to change if you can actually 3D print a house in a week as they've done in China. A, a great comment recently, I was watching the, uh, before the WA election, there was a whole argument about Row 8, the new highway. And the 7.30 report was talking about, and they were interviewing truck drivers, and they're going, we need this road, it'll make our job much safer. My 15-year-old son said, why are they interviewing truck drivers? They won't exist when the road, this road's built. Wow. So, where's, so he's going, where's the allowance for technology in that road? Mm -hmm. Why are we using industrial revolution models in this, in this future state? You know, I understand why the minister comes out and goes, we're building a new prison in Werribee because they've got a problem and they need a headline and they need to make people feel safe. But that should be accompanied by an and. We are trialling a program that's come out of the Netherlands where they're closing prisons. Okay. Have that have that future conversation. That. So mm. so I understand the tactical, but it's got to be linked in with the, the long term strategic. Mm -hmm. And the way our governments are built and, and corporations are built, they're they're quarterly or they're you know annually or they're you know, every two or three years. We're not we're not allowing for the long game. The discussion mm. of there are models that have been proven to be better, but people are too afraid to talk about them because that might cost them their job or their votes. Mm. So. We need to understand if a government or a company is being innovative or gearing itself up to be disruption-proof or resilient in the future, we need to understand the why behind they're doing that. And once we do, I think we'll be a lot more tolerant in, in the judgment of them. Mm. I'm thinking about it from a very local perspective with the current government focusing a lot on building new roads and removing level crossings and, and that sort of thing. What, or I guess if you, if you could say to Daniel Andrews, you know, mm. this is the thing that you're missing, that you, what, what would you suggest to him as far as moving forward with that initiative? The interesting thing with government is they are listening to this. Okay. That, that we, um, I have been given the opportunity and, and when I speak in at government, 
I, they ask me to speak to more people and more people and it sort of it, it grows because everyone's aware that there's a different way. It, it's how to communicate it and how you do it where it's not just this long-term plan that things are going to get better. You've got to design it so there are announceables all the way through that you know, this is our prior project and, and this is what we're doing next and this is what we're doing next and as a result we're here and as we iterate it to each stage. I think the key thing is is to just be having that other comment that we are aware of what the future is. We are aware that there are models that are better and we are going to trial them. We are going to prototype them in some format. We just can't keep saying this is what it is. We can, and we can't be assuming that we'll, we'll create a government agency, there'll be a one-stop one shop and it will be digitally adopted by people. There's a disconnect there. They think that everyone's on the same plane because we, we are living in this curated information world. So if you're on Collins Street or George Street in the, in the glass and ivory towers... We think everyone's using Uber and Airbnb and knows what Thumbtack or Airtasker is, that they understand um, what AI will bring because that's part of our world. I'm, I'm fascinated by the amount of people that sort of have no idea about any of those things. That goes back to that comment. The role of government is to actually understand these things and transfer that information and knowledge and give people the opportunity to understand that rather than just compensating people when a factory in Geelong closes for cars, why aren't you looking at the, the, the Ford giving 500 cars to the last workers, making them Uber drivers or creating a new local model of a, of a, of a ride-sharing app that is, is future-focused? And if you'd given those 500 workers a Ford car, they'd be the greatest advertisement if they'd worked at the factory that long for people that got in those cars to say, if you're buying a car, buy one of these Fords. They're great. I worked on them. I love this company. So you've got these advocates. Like This, this is the creation of a community and a platform, and I think we're not doing that well. Mm. And that's where government needs to be having a conversation is about how do we create new community platforms. Now, whether you're an atheist or believe in God, the reality is the role of church has diminished greatly, and that was a huge role in the communities. Who's picking up that mantle now? Who's actually... Where do you get that sense of community? And, and there are small versions of it, but on a, on a bigger scale, we're not connected. Mm. And we've lost that and we've got this mass migration into cities. You've got um, hubs like uh, in Victoria, you've got you know, Geelong and, and Bendigo and Ballarat and all these other areas coming forward, but they're still not creating enough jobs in those areas and people are still commuting in. And we've got a transport issue and we've got this, this inner city problem. There can be jobs there. We just need to think about things differently. Mm, absolutely. In a previous episode, I, I spoke with a woman who was working for the Hyperloop competition. <sighs> Why isn't that a discussion in Australia? I mean, yeah, I yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, based on my conversation with her, we started thinking about, you know, you could live in Shepparton and be in Melbourne in nine minutes and mm. it would just give a whole new life to, to these communities. Absolutely. That, yeah, I mean, and, and to me, that is the future. And I, I recognise there's a big gap between where we're at now and that actually happening. And, and what I hear you say is that it's, it's about us advocating for the future that we want. Absolutely. We, we, you know, you've even got, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to that Werribee, the, the prison example. You had a minister who didn't live in the location. So how can you, how, and I think that the, the, I think the age picked up on that. And a few people got called out as, as to not living with their constituents. But <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've, if you're going to represent the people, you've got to be of the people. And I think that's one of the, the comments recently, our, our career politicians, the best people to be representing us mm. now mm. because they've got an agenda of their own. And that's okay. Everyone's got an agenda in one way. I want to change the world, so do you. Um, but is our version of changing the world aligned? 
Um, quite mm. often it is, but in other ways it mightn't be. I might be more left-wing than you. But there's got to be a discussion and all good discussions are, are based around the quality of the information that is that is uh, there at the beginning of the discussion. Mm, yeah. And in terms of the, well, I'm thinking more about quantity of information and what you were talking about before with, you know, all these different changes, whether it's, mm. you know, blockchain, AI, drones, mm. 3D printing, all of those different mm. things. And when we, when we think about where we need to focus to be able to thrive into the future, what advice do you have for people who, who want to be forward-focused, who want to be um, you know, thinking about the future in ways that, that allows us to create the future that, we, that is more desirable rather than the sort of dystopian stuff that's out there? Because yeah. there's so much. There, right? There's and so it's, much. It's, and I think, yeah, it's easy to get yeah, into overwhelm. So it is. We, it's, 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 it is. And I think one thing that I've... When, when I've been asked this, I've been asked this question a few times and I, I, I play around with this answer, but I think pick one. Pick the one that you think you understand the most. I think burying your head in the sand completely is just wrong and you'll be disrupted. But if you're in transport, understand drones. If you're in construction, understand how 3D printing will work. Um, if, you're in, if you're an accountant or a lawyer or a real estate agent, understand how blockchain works. These are the things that will actually impact you. But by understanding those and reading and listening to people that are at the forefront, that, that are the thought leaders, the, the Diamandis, the Kurtz world, or from the human perspective of Simon Sinek, um, listen to a TED Talk. Just don't be afraid to start to learn about it because the information is out there and there are people that are breaking it down into uh, a common sense language that, that you can understand. And don't think that it's not going to happen to you because it is. I think Kurtzweld recently pushed back on his 13 years to singularity to be about 27 years now. But mm. it's still going to happen in our lifetimes. They talk about children born after the year 2000 will live to be well over 100. If you're in the, if you're in the superannuation industry, there's got to be a conversation around the retirement age changing. Yeah. Like understand what's happening mm-hmm. in, in that, in, in the nature of healthcare, and we can start to, to think about how we create a future for it. If we keep having people retire at 65 and start drawing their pensions, we're in trouble. The other side of this is by virtue of superannuation, we are going to have over the next, within the next decade, a huge exponential growth in the amount of money to be invested because of the way compound interest works, somewhere between four or 500% in the amount of money to be invested. Where's that money going to be invested? Unless we understand new forms of value and are having different conversations. Mm. And to be able to question the people that are investing your money, to be able to question the banks on what they do. That's the value that they can offer. It's not about we listen to you, we're here for your life story, we're here to help you buy a mortgage. That's People are not buying into that. And I think the best insurance ad recently was a company called Frank where they're going, you're not going to love us, but you're not going to hate us. That's real insurance talk, not pretending to be something that you're not because people are going to call bullshit really, really fast now. So you've got to know your audience, you've got to know the people you're talking to and you've got to learn the way to express the why you're taking a course of action. Mm. Is that hit it? That- yeah, I mean, but, and, and what I hear in that is that's, that's the narrative. That was mm. the, the, I think of it as the, the future that we want to create and, um, you know, in terms of customer relationships and the mm. longevity of them, being able to, you know, capture our imagination and, you know, go on a journey together to, to, to take the steps needed to create that future and sure we're, we're never going to agree on the ideal future no. you know some people think that universal basic income is the way to go some people don't it's um to me what's more important is that we have a vision mm. and that p- 
people align behind it, but also in getting behind it that we can move it forward by advocating for it, like like you said. Well, what's understanding it, and that's interesting, you raised the, the universal basic income. That's being driven by people like uh, Musk and Diamandis who see the value of things changing dramatically, that energy will be free, food could be free, water could be free. So therefore, it's a different game. Mm. But if you're not explaining those underlying reasons that they think that way, people think it's some Soviet conspiracy. <laughs> that there's some left-wing propaganda that everyone gets this money, and it's not. It's, mm. it's saying that we're redef- everything's being redefined, everything's being revalued. Mm. You've got to have, it's the context, it's the full yeah, story. Absolutely. And, and it's this selective um, reporting and the selective listening that is that is causing the most disconnection. It's, it's where why disruption is still being seen as a bad thing, mm. where in fact we should be using words like we're reshaping and it's an, un, it's an unimagined future. And the conversation around you know, STEM being the focus will actually... The, the, the current thinking is it should be STEAM, where it's Absolutely. You're, throwing arts in, all the time. You're, you're throwing arts into it. Yeah. And the, the people that can communicate are the ones that are going to be most successful. And the creative thinking that, that comes into, you know, innovative ideas that will, I guess, create that positive disruption. Yeah, Absolutely. You've just got to have more conversations. So in a, in a previous episode, we also talked a bit about how there's this desire, and again, played out in the world stage, that... To, for simple answers to complex problems. Mm. And that's what's led to people who are providing those simple answers, but mm. you know, we're starting to see that that's creating chaos. I think of it as, as it's sort of likely to create even more of a disconnect between those who perhaps are educated or have ability to sort of mm. think in complex ways and, and can sort of hold the space for that complexity um, and those who are like, no, 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 I just, I just want to... I want things to be simple. I want them, someone to just, you know, thump this person on the head, therefore I'll be able to, you know, eat yeah. or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and actually even in, um, I was listening to Exponential Wisdom mm. with Peter Dumadis talking about um, how in Africa there are nations where they're, they're seeing that low maternal nutrition mm. is, is having an impact on, you know, brain development, which means, you know, lost productivity and intelligence as a resource um, for these nations. And just even raising that, like, I, I think there's massive implications there that, that people aren't thinking about, you know, seeing intelligence, knowledge, wisdom, you know, as a as an asset and as a way to um, enable our, our, whether it's a nation or communities to face the future, face that uncertainty, face the ambiguity. How do we turn ourselves, how do we turn organisations or government from being egocentric to egocentric. Beautiful, yeah. I think that's the key thing. How do you, um, and I was uh, talking with the CEO of Werribee Football Club and we were just talking about how they wanted to embrace the community and I said, look, mm. you know, you get in the huddle and you've got your arms around each other and you and you, you review the game and, you, and you, you cheer each other on. What you need to imagine is you take that image and you reverse it so you're facing outwards with your arms open. Mm. If, if you could actually imagine your organisation in that sense, that we're, how do we welcome you in? How do we con- contribute to society while still maintaining something that is viable for ourselves? So, again, it's the, back to that tension. Like, you just can't give. Mm. You know, banks just can't make everything free. <laughs> we get that. And I think look, the, the great example I always refer to is that when people started to download music illegally in Australia when CDs were 30 35 $40 because people saw that as being really unreasonable. As soon as someone like JB Hi-Fi goes in and makes them most of them $10, 
people start to buy them again. Mm. People actually are okay with paying for music. They just want to pay a reasonable amount. Yeah. People understand. So the music industry is, is, has always been disrupted by technology and it still manages to thrive each time mm, because the core thing there is still that they're, 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 the product they have, which is the artist and the music and the song and the story, will always be required. Now, mm. be that via the Live Nation model where you own the T-shirt company, the trucking company, the venue, and you're making your money out of performing, or you're a Spotify-type model and you're making it accessible to everybody and you're getting a little bit of money on a grand scale. It works because people people generally, like, it's easy at night. You could get fill your car up with petrol and drive away and mm. you might not get caught, but people don't do that. You see people selling flowers on the side of the road. And they've just got a bucket there. People will put money in and that does continue. We, we do um, trust each other. You look at the, um, the peer-to-peer financial systems. Within the first years, there was a you know, a 4 or 5% default rate. Within five or six years, that became 0.04. Mm. And it's like the Uber. We rate each other. We, if you stuff up, you're given it one more chance. But if you continually are bad, you'll be wiped off. And, again, this comes back to that's a good thing. The bad thing is someone steals my Uber account. Mm. Does a few bad things. My my my, my avatar or whatever that is mm-hmm. is um damaged for life. So how am I protecting my digital identity? Mm. That's not being discussed. Yeah. But there is huge value in in with this with this technology that you and I can do a transaction really without the need for government and lawyers and and, and the traditional methods because through the Internet of Things we can get a better beat on each other and understand. Could we do work together? I look at your Facebook feed. I look at your LinkedIn posts. I go, okay, I could, we, we're aligned. I think we'll do all right together. And we'll, by trial and error, we'll work together. And that's why a lot of design projects start very small. Because it's new, you just can't come in and change an organisation. You've got to find a little bit, and that's got to be the same with government, find little projects that start to build up confidence and faith and trust because it all it will always come back to people and if it's about people, it has to come back to trust. Mm. If we trust each other, there's a really good chance of doing something. And you talk to anyone in the startup space that's reviewing these organisations, the idea, yeah, is part of it, but it's the team and it's the timing, it's the culture. Yeah, can it scale up? Do these people have the ability to take this product to market? Because someone else has probably thought of it it's who can do it in the way that's going to resonate best in the world. Mm, right, I love that. Um, I've got one final question. This is what I ask everyone with a slightly different um, bent based on what you've talked about. So I, I've heard you talking about um, you know the discussions that we need to have, and I'm mm. thinking of you know people who want to who have a particular you know issue that they they see isn't being discussed, um, or perhaps they've got you know uh, an idea for a book or a show or a business, mm. um, but they can see that there's a lot of barriers. They're, they've got some you know reluctance. What advice would you have? The the opportunity to find a community that you resonate with is 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 so much easier than it ever has been. Google search the language that you use. Google you know look, find out like minded people because they will help you. If you're doing something new, it's it's a bit like um, the musician who sits in his bedroom and just plays music and never gets discovered. No one's, no one's going to discover you. You've got to put yourself out there. Uh, a story I love is that the reason Eddie Vedder became the lead singer of Pearl Jam was that he met a guy called Jack Irons whilst he was being a roadie for a Joe Strummer show. Wow. So if he hadn't been actually out in the industry just 
getting his head around it and, and putting himself out there, he wouldn't have met the right people that could have put him in touch with the people that ended up becoming one of the world's greatest fans. Mm. He wasn't sitting in his room alone. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to uh, read what you can, but lift your head from your phone and, and, and go to meetups, go to jams, in whatever form that is, because these communities are everywhere, be it in social impact or be it around fintech or medtech. There are amazing people who want to share their ideas because they know that by bringing the outside in, that they'll get better at what they do. So we've got a this great collective of collaborators emerging because they want to share their ideas and because they realise that through sharing it, there's a greater chance that it will actually have impact or be adopted. But get off your ass, Get out there. Let people know what you're doing because if people know what you're doing, they have half a chance of helping you. If, if they don't know, mm. you, you, you're a zero-sum game. Mm. So there's so many more things I feel like we could talk about. I feel like we've just scratched the surface. But um, before we finish, is there anything else that you, you want to say to the listeners or if there's like a particular vision of the future that you want to, um, you know, plant a seed for or um, any, any final thoughts? No, but what was interesting though, because when you sent me a list of the questions that you do ask and, yeah. and, you, and you asked um, what, what book oh, yes. do you refer to? Yeah. And I thought about this. That's it. Interestingly, and this is um, – Obviously, I've got a creative bent. So many people read the, the, the factual business books. And the book that I turn to the most, which I reckon has the best quotes of all books ever, is Alice in Wonderland. Oh, wow. Because it's imagining. It's, it's looking at the world in a different way. And mm. I think we, too often we get caught up in the dryness and the tactical. And, and you know, read books. There's another book um, called My Losing Season by Pat Conroy that he learnt more and bonded more with people in a team that lost every game than a team that was successful and won. Because that's easy. Mm, Winning winning is easy. Losing is really hard and it's losing what is what makes you. And that's where we learn the most. That's where we learn the most. So actually, you know, look at those books about people's stories about how they've actually, you know, dealt with adversity Mm. and and understand that you're not alone and I think you don't have to settle for dryness the entire time have a bit of fun and a bit of humor and a bit of surrealism in there because you need to take yourself out of the context that you're in you need to imagine what could be and you you need to push those boundaries you need to actually experiment with with things that you might be familiar with you know if you if you are a reader of the age read the sun read the papers that you don't like understand the people that you don't connect with because it's only by understanding them that you can better work out how to bring them along with with your new way of thinking because if you just treat them as being that they don't get it that they're in the Andrew Bolt camp or whatever that is you'll always be kicking shit uphill perfect it's a beautiful (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time thanks Tadra thanks for inviting me along yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Look forward to our next conversation, whenever that may be. I'd love to tease out even more of these fun things. Thanks so much. One of the standouts for me was the importance of understanding that those who are at greatest risk are those who can't unlearn and relearn. And I really appreciate Paul's insight around asking the simple question of, why does this problem exist in the first place? feels like a big duh, but it's not one commonly being asked. It often takes someone new to the organization, or perhaps even outside an organization, to ask this kind of question. When was the last time you asked it? If you're a human-centered design practitioner, you ask it as a matter of course. 
which is one of the things that got me really excited about human-centered design in the first place. The other element is the why. And we've talked about this before, including with Carolyn Tate in episode 12, about how the why connects us to the purpose. And that's what gives an initiative legs, makes it easier to get behind and to communicate to others. As Paul says, this is how we do things, just doesn't cut it anymore. And in looking at the shadow side, not just of tech and bringing human-centeredness to that, but also to things like one of the big buzzwords at the moment is authenticity. He names that it can actually be hurtful sometimes, and to be mindfully authentic, and to incorporate the role of context. I remember working at the Department of Justice quite a few years ago, and one of my team members noting how much I used the word context. It helped me to see that it wasn't the normal way of operating to consider or include context, and in some way I was seeking it, looking for it asking for it as I learned to navigate what was a very disconnected environment. Another highlight was Paul saying, it's not technology alone that will change the world, it's how they converge with each other. The combination of all of them that makes it interesting in our way of working and being inclusive as a way to play the long game, to be strategic and plan for the bigger picture and the long term pointing out the risk of the increased divide and divisiveness in assuming that people beyond the urban fringe get the impact of the potential of things like AI and how important it is to communicate about decisions. There's a lot of change happening that's flying under the radar or that's concentrated among a few early adopters. What will it look like if we keep going this way and keep using the old paradigm thinking to make decisions? The people who get disrupted and left behind, if they feel discarded and become disaffected, that's when our society as a whole becomes destabilized. It's really important to start thinking about it from the reality that we are all in this together and to bring some care and compassion and understanding, not to mention information sharing to this whole new way of being. What's the narrative that we're bringing to building our common future? How can we effectively advocate for the future we want to create? That's the kind of stuff that I'm taking to heart from this conversation. Before we finish, thanks to our listeners in Germany who have joined Japan in the countries that have surpassed the number of my Canadian listeners. If you have suggestions, I'm all ears. Listen up for contact info at the end. Wrapping up, a few things to note. I mentioned last week about some changes coming. It's official. I'll be taking a break over June and possibly going from weekly episodes to every two weeks. When I resume, I'll be taking advice from a listener survey to better understand how Tall Poppy can be of service to you. The survey link will be available in the next episode with Josh Spodek. He went from being an astrophysicist to a leadership educator at NYU. So with the survey, start thinking about what you want from Tall Poppy. Speaking of which, there are two new reviews Thank you to 23Net for the latest one. I'll read it to you. It says, Tathra gets interesting guests to take different angles on leadership and their personal experience in response to her thoughtful questions. Tathra and guests have made me think more about my own personal development, and I've spent time looking up their work and and references after listening. Each podcast episode becomes an opportunity for professional development. Rich listening here for leaders and those stepping into leadership without formal authority. Highly recommended. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And anyone who wants to add a a review, please, by all means, I would 
most welcome it. And if you have feedback um, that you might not want to put on a review, I'm all ears. So I'm going to tell you my contact details in just a moment. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on Twitter more these days. So you can contact me that way. It's at Tathra S-T, so T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T. Or on LinkedIn and Facebook, you can find me by searching my name, which is spelled T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T-R-E-E-T. Thanks again for listening and for being part of the Tall Poppy Tribe, where we look at leadership differently, where we ask the hard questions, look into the shadow, and at ourselves and the way we lead in work, business, and life. See you on the flip side.